Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible now, and we're going to read uh, Exodus 32 from chapter, uh, from verse 1 to 6. Like I said before, this mini-series, Searching for God, we're going to look at a prophet in the Old Testament, as we did last week with Moses, priest, and a king next week. Uh, and so this is why we're in Exodus 32. Uh, Ross is going to come up in a moment and explain some things, if there's some things here that don't make sense. But I'm going to read chapter 32 from 1 to 6. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Let's read together. Uh, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an iron cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Morning, everyone. It's been a great service this morning here about Josh and Adriana and all the other good things that have been going on. So I encourage you to hang around after church, particularly to uh, meet other people and just see what's going on in their lives. But it is good to now to just focus on God and his word, to draw near to him, to get to know him, who is the God that we follow and worship. So I'm just going to pray now that God will help us to understand. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, just thank you for reaching out to us when sometimes that we are a bit lost, that we are searching for you, that you come to us. And I do pray that you'd use this moment to draw near, to show yourself to us so that we can understand you better. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the most expensive mistake you've made? Yeah, it's not hard to make mistakes. You know, you prepare a nice dinner and all of a sudden it's burnt and it's just trashed. I've done that. Sometimes you scratch the car. I've done that too. Sometimes you smash the car. I've done all those things. Sometimes you lose your phone. It's easy to make mistakes and they're costly mistakes. Well, I'm here to make you feel better. This morning we're looking at, at least I'm not as bad as them. Let me tell you about the guys at NASA. In the late 90s, they thought it would be a great idea to send a ship, uh, a rocket into Mars, over to Mars, to find out is Mars a place we could live on? So they wanted to do a bit more research. Throw $200 million, get their NASA guys in America and also some other guys in other parts of the world to work on this project. Late 90s, they launched the rocket, they sent it off on this long journey to Mars. And as it's going, they're working out hang on, instead of going this way, it's kind of going this way and this way, it's zigzagging, but something's not right. There's a mistake going on. But it was too late. They couldn't fix it. There was a problem. So as the rocket, as the um, yeah, rocket went around the backside of Mars, where they lost contact with it, never to be seen again. Disappeared off into space or crashed into Mars and $200 million. Whose mistake was that? It was apparently 
They'd done all the maths right, it was all calculated right, but apparently they didn't use the same, uh, the same standards. So, you know, for the guys in Nasser America, they're using the metric system. Guys in England, they're using their measurements in the imperial system. They go, this is one, one millimetre. No, no, this is one inch. And all of a sudden their maths are all wrong. A $200 million mistake, just without clarifying that. That's a big mistake. At least my mistakes aren't as bad as theirs. What about the guys that we just had read for us? Uh, the Israelites, they're in Egypt. This is an Old Testament story. They're looking, they, you know, they want a God, and they build a golden calf. At least I'm not as bad as that. How many of you guys have a golden calf sitting at home as an idol that you want to worship or you can worship? At least I'm not as bad as that. See, there's things that we can look at them and learn, go, oh, makes me feel better. But then to look at, well, how are they going to fix the problem? The rocket ship disappeared. God, and there's no fixing that one. Israelites build a golden calf. How are they going to fix that problem? What happens if I make mistakes? What happens if I make mistakes like Israel and I don't really know till it's too late? How am I going to fix that problem? How do we fix up our stuff with God, particularly when we make mistakes for him? See, this morning we're going to meet three people that walk us through this story. We met Aaron just then. And we're just going to see how they work out. How do we know God? How do we not make mistakes? Or when we do, how do we fix those mistakes if we can? This is what we need to know. So we don't say, at least I'm not as bad as them, and we really are. So the first guy we meet is Aaron. We read about him in those first few verses. And... Uh, People are coming up to him. This is uh, the Israelites. They're in the desert. They're on the journey. They're looking to Moses. Now, the difference between Moses and Aaron is Moses was called a prophet. We heard him about him last week, if you were here, and uh, Josh explained to us. A prophet is someone who brings God to the people. So a prophet in the Old Testament would come and say, the Lord says this. If you want to know what God is like, you go to a prophet. Of course, he's going to go, this is what God is like. This is he's God's mouthpiece. He brings God to the people. But a priest brings people before God. So he gathers the people and makes sure they're, they're you know, presentable before God and brings the people before God. So these Israelites, they are searching for God. They want a God. You can see in their desire, we want someone to lead us, go before us to be the one who's going to bring us this triumphal entry into the promised land. We're searching for this God. We want to hear from Moses, because Moses has been telling us what God is like, but he's been up this mountain. He's been up there for so long. We don't know what's happened to him. We've lost contact with him. So let's go to Aaron. Aaron, this uh, priest, or I'll explain, soon-to-be priest, says, come make us gods who will go before us. This fellow Moses who brought us out of it, we don't know what happened to him. Moses, how hard could it be to make us a god? Because they've just had the experience in Egypt. They've seen what the priests do there. The priests uh, just put together some gold and make into a, uh, an image for them to worship and bow down to. And this is, their, this is what the priests back in Egypt used to do. You're a priest, make us a god like what they did in Egypt thing with Aaron, he's not yet a proper qualified priest. 
So in this journey, they've, the Israelites have left the slavery in Egypt. They go, that's at the start of the book of Exodus. They go this, uh, into the desert. God speaks to them, gives Moses the Ten Commandments. That's in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. So they've got the Ten Commandments. They know a bit about God. Moses walking through, walking them through that. A little bit later on in Exodus 28, uh, God says, you know, you guys need priests. This is how this should work. You guys need a priest to bring you, present you before God. And I want Aaron and his sons to be that priest. Now, where we're at here, that, that, so that was chapter 28. Aaron was named as going to be the priest. We're in chapter 32. But it's not until the next book of the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 8, Aaron becomes the priest. So we're in this stage where Aaron's kind of the priest, but he's kind of a tr priest in training. He's got his L plate around his neck. He's just kind of working out what to do here in his role to bring people before God. And the people come to him, Aaron, you're the priest. How hard is it to make us an image? We've seen it done in Egypt. And it seems like Aaron then just says, yeah, I remember what the priests in Egypt used to do too. So I'll give it a go. That's where we pick it up in verse 2. So he gets, gathers all the gold, puts it in. He's going to make this image and he comes, he comes out with this golden calf uh, he fashioned it it didn't wasn't an accident and he said uh sorry and when he presents it to them he doesn't know what it is just this image it sounds but they say these are your gods israel who brought you up out of egypt they're searching for god they want a god they want him so bad they're desperate for a god that if moses is not going to tell them what god is like we'll come up with our own idea and this seems to be pretty logical. We've got this golden calf. We saw it done in Egypt. Let's see. He's going to go before us. He's going to bring us victory. And this is what he does. He goes, Aaron seems to go along with it then and says, you know, let's have a festival. Let's bow down to worship him. Let's uh, make sacrifices to him. Does all the things that religion kind of did in those sort of days that they brought up. This, this calf is now their God. To lead them it's their own idea but instead of waiting for Moses waiting for God to reveal himself they made up their own idea when in fact God has been revealing himself see they've got the Ten Commandments at this point and they could have just had a look at that and seen how God was revealing himself it's worth a little bit of a journey back to Exodus chapter 20 just looking at the first couple of commandments how do these commandments start what should they know about God at this point in time God spoke all these words this is Moses coming down on the hill down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery if you want to know what sort of God I am, that was the God. You saw all the miracles. You saw all the things he did. That's the God you've seen and experienced because they, they were first-hand witnesses to it. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth, below, earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for this is why i the lord your god am a jealous god punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me by showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands 
There's a couple of things to notice about what he's saying just in the first couple of commands is it's not just about rules here. Don't do this. Don't do that. That's how you please God. But it's definitely about a relationship because he explains, I'm a jealous God. If those people who hate me, they're going to be punished. But those people who love me, I'm going to pour out my love on them and generations to come. Now, we need to understand this word jealousy a bit and what it means because it, it's a heavy word, right? Because a lot of times now we think of this word jealousy as a negative thing of somebody being jealous of something else means that they want something that somebody else has got. That's a bad sort of jealousy. Or they're so jealous they're over-possessive, over-protective and they stifle and sometimes kill that thing that they're trying to be jealously protecting of. They're bad sorts of jealousy. But for God, his jealousy is like, I love you and I want this relationship with you and I will protect that relationship at all costs. He's jealous of the relationship. It's a bit like when a parent says to a child, when they said, you know, don't go out and play on the road. Don't go and talk to strangers. They want them there because they want to keep them safe. So parents uh, to kids parents aren't doing those things just to lay down a whole bunch of rules but they're saying I love you I want to keep you safe but I want to keep you with me I want to keep the relationship and I want to protect that relationship I am jealous of that relationship so I'm going to get angry at anything that threatens that you know, things like don't go off doing all sorts of stuff on your mobile phones even because we're jealous of protecting you. We don't want you to be taken from us. So when God says to his people, I'm a jealous God, and how that works out, if, you, if anything comes along that's going to damage that relationship, I will punish them. Even if it's Israel themselves. If you damage this relationship, there will be punishment. Because the love is so good the love's worth fighting for the love is worth protecting this is a good jealousy from god but he will punish anyone who destroys that relationship now for aaron and the people what do they do with that information they can't wait to know what moses got to say so he says let's make an idol cast in the shape of a calf these are your gods, they say, who brought you up out of Egypt. They've ignored what God has dead, done and said. When Aaron saw this, build an altar. He announced, tomorrow we're going to have a festival. So he set the day and they got up early. They burnt sacrifices and offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink. They had this festival, got up to indulge in revelry. They did all this religious sort of acts their way. They couldn't wait for God. They couldn't search for him. They come up with their own ideas what this will be like. How do you think that's going to go down with God? The God we just read about in the Ten Commandments, the jealous God. It's not going to go down well. And we see what happens next in the very next verse when we catch up with Moses. Moses up on the mountain. Verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, notice that change, they're not my people anymore, your people who brought, who, whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. 
They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and what they have made for themselves, an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they, have a stiff, they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. God is so set on protecting this relationship. He will destroy anything that's going to damage that relationship. And they've done it. Israel themselves have destroyed the relationship. Can you blame God for being angry? Not at all. But then for Moses, how's he going to fix this mess? Moses is trying to lead these people. He is the prophet, but it's like he needs to be the priest here to bring the people before God. How's he going to fix this mess? Well, in a whole lot of verses, I'll give you the short cheat notes on that. Moses goes down, he sees the calf, burns the calf, throws it in the fire, turns it into ashes, grinds it up, puts it in their water and tells people, this is your idol, go and drink it. So they have to drink their idol. He finds Aaron, the, the priest in training, looks at his learners and goes, what do you think you're doing? Gives him a lecture about this is not what the role of priests do. Lectures Aaron. Then he sees all the people still enjoying their revelry, doing other things, worshipping their own God, their own way. And he gets some of his guys to put on swords and just walk through the crowd with waving their swords around and they kill a whole bunch of people. The troublemakers get killed. It's kind of like Moses has come in and he's meant business and he's dealt with the people, sorted out their idols, sorted out the priest in training, sorted out the troublemakers. He's done that. But how can he sort out the trouble with God? Because God's angry. He can sort out the people, sort out the stuff. How's he going to make things right with God? How's he going to fix the problem? When he goes back up the mountain he says what he's going to do in verse 30 the next day Moses said to the people you have committed a great sin not just you have sinned against God you have committed a great sin against God but now I'll go up to the Lord perhaps perhaps I can make atonement for your sin this word atonement means to make things right again to get that relationship back on track to fix up the mess maybe I can Make atonement for this with God. So he goes up. So Moses went to the Lord and said, and he's got a speech made out for the Lord. So what great sin these people have committed. Like he's confessing the sin to the Lord, isn't he? They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. It's a good, it's a good request, isn't it? Something we might pray to God. God, we're... We've done this wrong thing. Now please, please forgive us our sin. What's God going to do? Should God forgive their sin? Because what Moses is actually asking for is to forgive. Is like, I've dealt with the mess. I've dealt with the troublemakers. Just let it go. Just walk away. Pretend nothing happened and you can all be friends again. Can God do that? Can God do that? In fact, I don't think Moses even thinks God can do that, not on those conditions, because he, he doesn't even let God answer, because he adds to the end of the sentence, but if not, it's like, God, I know that was a big ask, and 
you know, but if not, he's got a second, he's got a plan B. How can God forgive these people? How can he make a time? How can he fix the problem? How can he make things right? Moses seems to recall something that happens, and I'm guessing the background to this, what he's about to say. Something happened when they were in Egypt in slavery, and it was this Passover, when God was trying to teach Pharaoh and the Egyptians a lesson. He was going to send in uh, the angel of death. It was going to kill the eldest son of every family, even the eldest uh, male animal. It was going to go through to show, I'm serious about what you guys are doing. But God said to his people, hey, just so the angel of death moves over your family, passes over your family, what I want you to do is take a lamb and I want you to sacrifice the lamb. Kill the lamb and put some of its blood on the, around your doorposts. So when the angel of death comes through the night, it can see, hey, there's death to be brought into this household and then they go, oh no, there's death has already happened. The lamb has taken the place of the eldest child. The lamb was uh, the sacrifice for them and they moved on. So the logic goes then, maybe, maybe someone can take the place of their sin. They're deserving of, Israel's deserving of death. Maybe something can take its place, be the substitute. So Moses says, please forgive them, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written this book of life, maybe, maybe take me as the substitute for them. That's a big call, isn't it, from Moses? Moses is a good guy. He's got his faults, he's made mistakes, but he's a good guy dying for a bunch of rebels. What's God going to do with that? Should God forgive them on that basis that Moses exchanges his life for all the people. What do you think? Should God give up, give, answer Moses' request? What's God's answer? The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out my book. That's, that's a no. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. See, not even Moses could make things right. The answer was, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Even Moses giving his life couldn't save them. Now, when we're searching for God and we see this God, this God is a big, holy God. He's perfect and pure. We need to also see how damaging our sin is, that our sin is not just trivial and small, but it's big. Sin is big against a, in contrast to a holy God, a made-up God, we can just say, well, let's make a sacrifice. Let's have a festival and let's just, it'll be right. Or let's go to our made-up God and say, we're sorry, we're not going to do it again. We dealt with that problem and all will be forgiven and wiped over. A made-up God takes sin very lightly. But this God, the God of the Bible, does it surprise you 
that God says no to his request. No, I'm not going to just forgive. No, I'm not going to take even your place, your life in exchange, Moses. God's so holy and our sin's so great. Not even that can fix the problem. Is this the God that you're expecting to find as you come in here on a Sunday? This sounds like a heavy, harsh God who doesn't really want us in his presence. So why didn't God accept Moses' offer? Well, Moses was giving all he could, was giving himself. But in fact, Moses did have his faults. Moses was a sinner like all the others. So Moses' life exchange for the life of a whole bunch of sinners, well, it's not really an exchange, it's just adding another sinner to the, to the pile of bodies in the desert. But Moses was wrong thinking he could be a substitute. But he was right. He was right in thinking that there was an ability to have a substitute. He was right in his understanding of God. See, the good news is when we get to the New Testament, everything seems to come a bit clearer. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus gives what the others couldn't give. There's a whole bunch of passages that explain this. I've just picked out Romans, Romans chapter 3, verses 25, where the Apostle Paul's writing to a church and he says, you know what happened? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. They're words that we're familiar with, aren't we? What happened in Egypt? Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That's what Moses was trying to do. Sacrifice me in place of them so that we can make this right again, so that we can be one again, to fix the problem. Moses was never going to be enough. But when God sends his own son, Jesus, when God says, my holiness is so great, I can't tolerate this sin but I'm going to send you my son Jesus. He's holy and just and perfect and pure, not like anyone who's gone before him. He lived the perfect life, lived glorifying God, worshipping God. But if he sacrificed his life, that would be acceptable. So Jesus went to the cross, gave up his life as the plan. It wasn't out of control, unwillingly. He didn't fight the cross. No, I need to do this. Jesus goes to the cross and lays down his life through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Who's Jesus dying for? For all those who trust in him. Not all those who are good enough or religious enough. Not all those who are sinless. None of us are good enough in that area. But for those who trust in Jesus, for those who have faith in Jesus, are covered by that, like the lamb at the door, the lamb's blood. We're saved by his blood. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness, meaning God was satisfied. God was satisfied with what Jesus did, that God, God's wrath on our sinfulness, sinfulness was going to be poured out. Jesus said, I'll take that wrath. I'll take it even if it means death, even if it means giving up my life. And Jesus does that. Who does that stuff? Moses wanted to, but he wasn't going to be enough. Jesus says, let me. Let me do it. See, the true God of the Bible is better than anything that we can come up with and make up for ourselves. 
but we need not to make the same mistake Israel did. You know, God's hard to find sometimes. He's hard to see. How can we work out who God really is? Let's, let's make up our own story. Let's not make Israel's mistake. The real God is a jealous God and he will do anything to protect the relationship he desires to have with you. He will do anything to protect that, even if it means sending his own son, sacrificing his own son to pay for the sin that we deserved punishment for. That's a jealous God, but a loving God who fixes the problem. Jesus was a perfect priest and he did something that no one could do. We couldn't even do it for ourselves. But as a perfect priest, he now presents us as perfect before God. When God sees us, he doesn't see us as a bunch of sinners that need punishing. He sees us like he sees Jesus, perfect and pure, loved and held closely to him. So I'm glad we've got a jealous God who will fight for our relationship, even when we muck it up when we make mistakes. But let me encourage you, when you're searching for God, don't be tempted just to take shortcuts. Make up your own ideas. But check out how God's revealed himself to you. Because he's not hiding from you. In fact, he sent Jesus to search for you. That through Jesus, we see what God does through his actions. We know what he's like through his actions. We know what he's like through his Bible, through his spirit. He speaks to us through his word. If we pull out the Bible and read about him, he talks to us. So if we look at what he's done and draw near to him, we can experience his true love. We can experience what he's like because it's so much better than what we can make up or anybody else can make up. Let me encourage you to do that. Let me pray that we will not just hear the words but act on it. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are so holy, so just, so jealous of the relationship you desire to have with us. Lord, I thank you that your love abounds so much that you sent Jesus to die in our sin, something that we don't deserve, but something you do out of love. Thank you that we can trust in Jesus and know that we can draw near to you in your presence, that you will see us holy and just because of what Jesus did. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, please help us not to take this lightly, but to draw near to you, to constantly look to Jesus, to constantly look at your word and that your spirit will open our hearts so we can understand not just your words, but we can understand you. Help us all on this journey, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.